Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley, and we are continuing where we left off with uh, Thought of the Week and Prayer. It is August 8th, 2021. Thought of the Week. When we are made alive, we should know that it is with Christ. Our salvation is linked to this special calling where we are in Christ and Christ in us. Of course, we can only realize this calling once we walk through the door of salvation. Our union with Christ is very special in this age. This information was hidden from other ages past and will establish our unique way of life in this age. God's calling is related to our birth in time. By this I mean that God decided the time of our birth. God is the one who created life. It is within his sovereignty to decide in which age to bring us forth. Keep in mind, we are not randomly here at this point in time. For he chose for he chose in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We are to mind, I'm sorry, we are, we are, give me a minute, we are not chosen for salvation, we are chosen to be in Christ from eternity past, chosen being to be selected. If we were chosen, some question came to mind, Chosen out of what? We are chosen out of a number. That number is the same of all time. God knows all who will believe in time. And it's not God's choice to make them believe. It is their choice completely. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Thank you for Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Well, the thought of the week represents really about our salvation and about it is that how we who believe in Christ, who have faith in him, can receive this great salvation. God is not pinpointing us and making us believe. He gives us a free will to our call to believe in what Christ did as us. So, meaning that we are in Christ and Christ in us, nothing ever happened before that this point ever took place. This is based upon our great and holy salvation that we are in Christ and Christ in us, that we share in everything that he has and everything that he wanted to be. But as God chooses us to our faith, believe in Christ, that he given us this great opportunity to, to have to have believed in his only begotten son. So this is my little thought of the thought of the week. And now we'd like to have prayer given to us by the white. Thank you very much, Dave. Um, first of all, is there any specific requests? I will certainly be praying for our families and extended families and church, et cetera. But if there's anything specific, please let me know. Not really, just the fact that I want to see my daughter. She's 
She's doing a slowly recovering. Uh, it's a struggle, but she's, hand, she's hanging, hanging in there the best way she can. So I'm kind of surprised because she didn't expect me to come in there, but I came to see her. So, you know, it's a, it's a struggle with her, but it's through God's grace that she's still here. Thank you very much for that, Dave. And yes, um, your daughter is certainly on our hearts as, as we've heard about um, her condition. And uh, let us all keep that in, in our minds as we bow our heads to the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to get together and, and really take advantage of, of just how deeply and intimately we can grow in fellowship with you. We can grow in grace because you have provided everything needed to do so. We just ask to help us come along in humility, humbly, with open minds to be taught by your word. And let us be free to let go of false things that we have heard before that we may have hung on to. We know that you are doing a new thing in this world and we are new creations in Christ. And it is a lot of new reality that we need to understand from your perspective. Thank you for this local Waters Truth Church. And when I say local right now, it's the East Coast, I guess. Um, but also for the body of Christ worldwide. And with the allowance of us to grow not only in, in grace as um, saved people, but also knowing that more people are being saved throughout the world. And we ask that you would use us um, in any way possible to help you a plan and that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray for the individuals who are facing all kinds of crises, whether health, economic, um, natural disasters, man-made disasters, whatever might be wrong with this world. There's so many things. Let us know that we can come to you where our citizenship is not in this world, but it is in heaven. And it is secured there. Um, our salvation is secured, not by us, but by your promise and your guarantee. We pray also for individuals that we know that are on our hearts, and you know their names and you know their conditions. We pray that you would intercede for us and for, for them, um, for the sake of their health, so that they, they can take advantage of this time um, that we have on this earth to walk with the Spirit and in fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, um, Dwight and Dave. We appreciate that. So we are in your notes, um, dated 8-8-21. I know I put the wrong... Uh, date on the email, but I got the right date on the actual notes. So hopefully you have notes, and we're going to look at John 16, 19 through 20 today. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, 
You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So, it sounds like a lot. However, we have covered uh, uh, quite a bit of the understanding of this. So, we could take bigger chunks at this point because we kind of know what is meant here. But there are still some nuances here that we'd like to discuss. So in your notes, after exhausting our resources, we often turn to God for help. Certainly we would go to God and ask for help when we need it, but sometimes our pride stops us from admitting our weakness. The fact is, we need God and His guidance in our lives. When we are operating from wisdom, it is the Spirit's leadership and guidance wherein He has trained us. Our dependence on God should not only be in those rock-in-a-hard-place situations, but it is also a daily awareness of our frailty and His strength. So this is where we are in these two verses, and uh, I'd like to see if we can just go through point number one. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask Him about this, so He said to them, so it was obvious to Jesus because they were disrupting his discourse. In other words, they were certainly uh, asking each other about this. Uh, and obviously they, they didn't have an answer that was sufficient. So I guess their attention turned to Jesus. So they wanted to ask him about it. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him about it. So he, he says... Uh, to them an answer. He gives them an answer. Um, the fact that they were disrupting Jesus did not seem to really bother him. It seemed he was okay with this. And really, I think he wanted to encourage conversation. If we look at John 16, 5 and 6, that's what it sounds like to me. Um... Well, I'll read four. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember what I, I, that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. And that's pretty much you know, Jesus, by him saying, none of you asked me this, he's really saying, I want more conversation here. I want you to ask me questions. That lets me know that you are engaged. And, and the disciples just were not. And why weren't they? Because they were filled with grief. They heard what Jesus said. They didn't fully understand it because it wasn't really a part of their theology. I mean, look, they were following Jesus because... He's the Messiah. They know He's the Messiah. They believe and are saved. However, in their theology, the Messiah doesn't die. At least, that's not what they know of and when they think about what their culture has taught them. So now, they're confused. They're like, I don't know if I believe this. I'm not sure. <laughs> what, I don't know. And this is where Jesus is stressing with them in John chapter 14. Believe me when I tell you that I am in the Father and the Father. Believe me when I'm telling you all this stuff because 
It was a matter of them not believing that Jesus, you know, was going away. They were troubled. So that's the first thought. It was obvious. And because, because of the commotion and then, you know, asking questions back and forth to one another, I'm sure Jesus was like, wait a minute, I'm going to have to slow down here because obviously there's things that are not understood. So he does want to clear it up. He was not annoyed by the fact that they were discussing amongst themselves. And then they wanted to ask him because nobody had the answer. That's why. Point B. We do not know everything. God already knows this. So when we think about this, we should say, when we have questions, right? we don't have to wait until we form some intelligent question. You know, Some people have a question which already puts them in a place where they're saying, I don't know. But then they want to make that question out to be such, not, they want to make sure people are impressed with the question as well as <laughs> what they want the answer. So we should just forget about all that and just say, look, let me throw it out here. And sometimes when we ask questions, we're not, we don't, we don't actually get to what's, what the question is as we go around the first time. So, listen, we are in a learning situation here. We don't know everything. And we're, we can't impress God. We just need to just be bare, uh, naked when it comes to who God is and who we are. Because He already knows everything about us when it comes to uh, what we know and what we don't know. So we do not want to be seen as a know-it-all, but as one who depends on the one who knows it all. So many times when I talk to people, the impression I want them to come away with is important. Because when God is in the presence of someone, right, there's, there is a mode that he wants them to think about, right? They, obviously, God wants to impress upon people. So what can I do? I'm not God. I don't have the persona of God. So when I leave people, I can't say that, oh, and when Doug left them, they were in the, the presence of rosy glow or something. <laughs> no, I don't care about all that. When I interact with people, Really, what I want them to know is, is that I love the Word, that I'm really involved in what the Word is. Because that's all we really have. Because right? lots of people are talking about how they love God. And that doesn't distinguish us. How are we distinguished and how do we want people to see us as those who are set apart unto God's purposes? And how are we set apart? By means of the truth. <clears throat> the word is true. I don't want people to do a rosy glow and all these other things. And oh, wasn't it great to have had that conversation? No, I want people to come to the say, wow, I want more. I want to dig into the word myself. I want to look at the Bible and I want to study it myself. That's what I want them to come away with. I don't know it all. And you don't know it all. We, we already know this is true. And God knows this is true. So we are 
want to depend, trust, and have the humility to depend on God who does know. Uh, he, he's, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to take us to this all truth. He already knows where that is. Like He knows where he wants to lead us. We just don't know. So we don't know it all, but we want to depend on God who does. And we want people around us to know that that's where we get our strength. Not within ourselves, that we are somehow better, smarter, spiritual, more spiritual. We want them to know where they can find this information as well. Here it is, right here, in the word of truth. God the Holy Spirit is right there, on the inside of them, trying to lead and guide and direct them into all truth as well. So that's an important point for me. Point C, let's keep going. Why didn't the disciples ask Jesus about this directly? Why didn't they? And there's a couple scriptures to read. One's in Mark 9, 30 through 32. Let's look at that one first. Mark 9, 30 through 32 says... They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not anyone want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Now notice, this is key. More than all the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus did, he, he had a goal to teach his disciples. Well, one, he wanted people to know that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he was the object of salvation. He wanted people to know that. But more than that, <clears throat> he wanted people to know that uh, these disciples, these ones who were following him, because they would eventually inherit uh, this whole thing that Jesus was pouring into them in terms of teaching, that they would be part of the foundation of the church. So teaching the disciples was a major part of what Jesus was doing. Not only the object lessons, a good chapter there is John chapter 6, if you ever care to read it. There, there you will find Jesus giving object lessons to the disciples, testing them, right? saying, well, what does this mean? Right? Well, what did you get from this? And, and, and it's right before them, and they learn quite a bit, I'm sure. So, so he says to them, the Son of Man, this is what Jesus is part of his teaching, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But notice, we've been hearing this. This is not uncommon for those of us who are reading the New Testament. We have read these verses, not just here, but in other places. We have read Jesus saying this. So he was trying to prepare the disciples for this. But what, what was their attitude? Verse 32. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. So that's... I mentioned this last week, but I didn't actually give the verse. But they didn't understand. Why wouldn't they understand what Jesus was saying? His words are clear. I'm reading them. And it says right here, the Son of Man... It's going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Why is that not understood? Really? It's not understood because they were confused. It was not in their theology. They didn't believe it, is what 
probably is a better way to say that. They didn't believe it, so they didn't understand. And then they were afraid to ask him about it. What does that mean? That is to say that they respected Jesus so much. They saw who he was. They respected him as the Messiah. But they didn't want to question him about his theology. But Jesus is teaching them. He's giving them his theology. They're listening with the filter of their theology. And what Jesus is saying doesn't quite cut it because according to them, the Messiah is not going to die. What are you talking about? And they don't want to say it. Now, Peter jumps up as brash as he is. In Matthew 16, it says he rebuked Christ. He says, for, for, for teaching this, for, he probably said it enough times, Peter had enough. And he says, you know what? Stop it. Don't say this anymore. And that is when Jesus had to rebuke Peter, put him back in his place. Aren't we glad that Peter's vision of things didn't come, come to pass? Aren't we glad? Because Peter didn't know what he was talking about. But anyway, this is the teaching here, right here. And what, what was the response? They didn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask. So I would imagine that when Peter made those statements, the other disciples were like, yeah, yeah we're <laughs> they were agreeing with Peter. But uh, that was not the heart of God. Right? That was, and then let's go to Luke, which is kind of the same passage. Luke 9, 43. We'll, we'll move a little quicker here. Luke 9:43 says, And they were all amazed at the greatness of God, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did. This is after he healed the person, right? He rebuked an unclean spirit. And they were amazed. So now, this is, this is what he says. I got your attention now, right? So they were all amazed. So everyone was marveling at what Jesus did. He said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, <laughs> you would think that's understandable, right? I'm telling you what's going on. I'm warning you. I'm preparing you. Yet, what did it say in verse 45? But they did not understand what he meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. See, so when it says it was hidden from them, it means it wasn't a part of their understanding, and it was a mystery. When it says it was hidden from them, that means it was a mystery to them. They just couldn't fit that into it. This is where I was getting the whole idea about uh, it wasn't in their theology. When it says it was hidden from them, it's not part of the mystery. It just means that the meaning of what Christ was saying was not understood by them. That's what that's saying. So they couldn't grasp it. And because of their respect for who Christ was, they were afraid to ask him about it. Now just remember, he just healed a man. You know, actually it was a boy. And this was a horrible scene. And Christ came in and made everything. He cast out the demon. And they were all like, wow. There's no question that this man, God, is with him. There's no question. And yet, um, 
he Christ uses that opportunity to teach them. And what do they do? If they don't get it. They don't get it. So it's no surprise in our verse and when we get to fourteen and fifteen and sixteen that the disciples are filled with grief. They just well when it finally dawns on them that Christ is saying, Look, I'm gonna die and uh, they're filled with grief. They don't even hear about the three days after that he'll be raised. <laughs> For them, death is final. When you say you're going to die, then that's it. There is no more, okay, then after that, I'm going to do this. No, it's over. It's over. So um, then um, Luke, we're still in Luke 24. Luke 24, I think 1 through 12. And this is... Um, about the resurrection. Let's just think about this as we go. I'll read it quickly. On the first day of the week, uh, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Remember, so Christ had been crucified. They buried him, but they didn't have time to give him the official Jewish burial with the spices and uh, how they would wrap the body and anoint it and so forth. And, but because of the Sabbath that was dawning at the time on Friday. So, so verse, when they got there, early in the morning, right, it's probably still dark, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now they were sure, because they marked the place. They followed Christ where they took him, you know, and they watched him get put in the tomb, and they watched the stone get rolled. So, so all of that they marked so that they could come back the next day and, and do what they had to do. Verse 4. While they were wondering about, all that, about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man, this is what he said, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then, verse 8, they remembered his words. So, so notice, the women... They were, not only did they think that Christ was gone, that's it, he's dead. We're coming to do what is traditional, uh, a traditional Jewish burial. And that's what we're expecting. We don't, we're grieving still. And here, they're looking for Christ and they don't find him. They're like, what in the world is going on? They don't ever think in their minds, wait a minute, this is what he said. No. So there's angels that come. And the angels have to remind them that he was that Christ said this, he was with you. And then verse 8 they they remembered the words, right? So when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others that were there. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But listen to the attitude of the eleven. But 
They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, listen, it wasn't just one who saw this. It was several. Right? So it gave who, who they were, right? And then, so it wasn't just like one person coming, I saw something in a dream, right? No, it was several of them. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother of James, and others who were with them told the told the this to the apostles. But they said they didn't believe him. Why couldn't they believe him? Because remember all the things we just talked about, because their words seemed like nonsense. In other words, foolishness. However, Peter, he got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what happened. Now notice he didn't say, he's risen. He didn't say that. He said, hmm, that is strange. I wonder what in the world could have happened to the body. Because they weren't thinking in any sense of the word that what the woman said was true. They were thinking, they must be crazy. They must, whatever they saw, I don't know what they're talking about. They're crazy. So notice the general attitude toward how people thought about these things. And even, listen, nobody is beyond reproach. Not the women, not the apostles. None of them understood this. They all failed at this and had to be reminded. Point D, we're going back to our notes. Often, our religious training gets in the way of the spirit of truth. And we know this. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that the Holy Spirit is going to tell us things that are outside of our religious understanding. Right? All of us have religious training. Right? So, if, so if, for instance, if you keep thinking, let's just say that your religious training says uh, angels, when they appear, they're going to be you know, bright lightning and they, where people are going to fall down dead and, and all that. But then an angel appears to you and it's, it's just a regular person. And he helps you. He does whatever. And, and later, we're going to find out that angels did attend us while we are, we are here in the world. Angels were a part of our existence here. And they interacted with us. And we didn't know they were angels. We're going to find that out. That says Hebrews 13. So we should know that we have to expand what we think is or is not possible. And it has to, for us, in this age, it goes beyond our human understanding. It goes beyond what eye has seen, what ear has heard, or has entered into the heart of man. Things that God has prepared for those of us who love him. Right? So it goes beyond our understanding. We have to throw out our religious training. Because we're not Jewish. We, we don't have... Jewish culture in our approach to God. And we're not Gentile, uh, so we don't take from the gods of Gentiles or the ways Gentiles worship, and, and we try to throw that into who God is. God re is revealing himself to us in ways that have never been to any creature, whether they be angel or man. These, we, of all people in all time 
have to keep an open mind when it comes to what is God trying to reveal to us. Who is God? Because he has not revealed himself in this way to any creature. So now that he is revealing himself, we can't make God stop short and say, hold on God, you never did that before. So I can't accept that you're doing it now. So it gets in the way. Our religious training gets in the way of who God is and what he would do and what he wouldn't do. Or all those things. We have to readjust our thinking when it comes to this. Point E. Teaching, teaching, and more teaching was important for the disciples. Emotion was in the way here, not helping their understanding. So, so, so I know a lot of people think that teaching, a large part of it is emotional. Right? In other words, you've got to get the people emotionally involved. And a lot of appeals, especially when it comes to the gospel, are emotional appeals. You know you were bad. You know you did wrong. Come, you sinners, and, and redeem your God is ready to redeem you and, and join his, just take his hand. And the music, let's play that once more. You know, just as I am without one plea. You know, this goes on and on until people slowly have a, a guilt complex and slowly make their way forward to the mourner's bench. This is common in a lot of churches, whether they have a mourner's bench or not. But it is tugging at your emotional heartstrings, as opposed to your what God is trying to tell you is, look, let me tell you about who I am, <laughs> what my standards are, and how I can receive you, and what will happen, uh, what will cause me to reject you as well. So, so we need teaching. And listen, as far as emotion, they were filled with grief. They could not, they, that's emotion. When emotion says, we don't know the way and we don't know where you're going. Emotion is like, it cuts off the teaching. They needed teaching, not emotion. In fact, there are scriptures, a couple of scriptures I can turn you to. One's in Romans chapter 16 where it says, Mark those who cause divisions. And teach doctrines that are contrary to what we have learned. He says their God is their belly, meaning their emotions. Stay away from them. Keep away from them, it says. Then there's another one that talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So in, in this case, what, what I'm saying is be careful. We all have emotion. Emotion is, is fine to have. However, when God is trying to teach us something, we got to... We can't allow emotion to think for us. We've got to think about what is being said. Jesus told them what was going to happen. All they had to do was grasp onto the words that Jesus was saying and throw out whatever their religious training was. They would have had it. But that's, listen, I, I don't want to make it sound easy because it wasn't. Most likely, if we were in their shoes, we probably would have did the same things. In fact, we have done the same things. Uh, in our lives, in our spiritual growth. We refuse to let things go or allow God to teach us because of what we think we know. It happens. So that point D is important too. Religious training gets in the way of the spirit of truth. But we're moving forward. This, now we're on point F. 
So Jesus will make it plain for them and give them some good illustrations. And, and if we go back to John, uh, it doesn't say, and Jesus begrudgingly said this to them. No, he, he's teaching. And teaching requires patience. Because, because you teach somebody something doesn't mean they got it at the same time. It means you might have to teach it again and again and again before they get it. So you, you need to have patience. And the patience comes from God, right? Because it's a joy to be able to illustrate and to articulate the Word of God, to be able to, to speak it out. And somebody's listening, whether they got it or not, well, that's up to God and the Holy Spirit. Uh, up, up, up to them and the Holy Spirit within them who aids them in the understanding of it. The fact that we get to be those who go out and sow the word, right? We can't make people understand. We could do our best to make it plain, but God the Holy Spirit has to give the meaning of it. So in verses 20 through 22, we have this analogy in John 16. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. That woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her joy, because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. So he, he's going to make it plain so that they'll understand. So let's go to point two. That was point one. Now we're into point two. So here, here's what he says. Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? So Jesus continues. He, he sees that they want to ask him this. He, he didn't interrupt them. He says, well, let them ask amongst themselves. So when they exhausted all of their resources, they turned to Jesus. And they, you know, they don't say it, but they're kind of afraid to ask him. Jesus already knew. So he just went ahead and broke the ice. And what does he say? Are you asking one another about what I meant when I said that? So first point is, before answering a question, it's a good practice to make sure the question is understood. That's, I'd say, a good practice. If you're not sure that you understood it, restate the question. Let the person say, yeah, yeah, that's what I was asking about. Let them say that because that helps you understand that you are hitting the nail on the head. So what happens when you're hammering something and you don't hit the nail on the head? What will happen? You, I can tell you some terrible things because you're going to probably hit your hand, your thumb, your finger. It is important to hit the nail on the head. In other words, answer the question that is asked. It's important. Uh, here, often a restating of it to be sure you're addressing what is on the heart. Right? Because if you're not, then it's not relevant to the person. Even though it might be good information, if they were inclined to want that information, it doesn't mean necessarily that it is a good opportunity for you to say whatever you want to say. A minister helps people. Right? A minister looks aside from what they want, 
what's good for them and looks to see what is good for the person they are ministering to. Somebody asks you a question, you are in the position of ministering to them. Think of it that way. Yeah, you said, well, I'm not a minister. Yeah, but you, yeah, you are. Somebody's asking you a question, a spiritual question. You take your hat off and put your minister hat on. Because you now are a minister. And you are able to address what they've asked from a uh, perspective that God has impressed upon you. If you know the answer, that is. So we're sure we know what the question. We might even have to restate it. Right? Um, and, and make sure we're addressing what is on that person's heart. Now you might say, what's on their heart is not important. If, if I were to say what the priority is for this person, let me tell you, let me tell you what you need. <laughs> I could say it that way. But you have to address, once you address what's on their heart, you know what you're also developing with that person? Trust. When you see, when you speak heart to heart to that person, you're developing a, a continuity of trust. That that person, a question reveals a person's weakness. Sometimes their frailty. And when we're talking about understanding. And for you to abuse that and try to teach them otherwise is not a, con a, a congruent flow of information as far as they're concerned. They, you didn't touch that person's heart because you didn't answer the question. You, they still have the question when they walk away from you. So you think they need to talk to you again that, for another half hour? No. Address what is on their heart. And this is what, even though you said, well, you, you, what you really need to do is learn about salvation. Well, you got to address what's on their heart before you talk about salvation. And if you are able to talk about salvation, what you think is more important. Point B. I'm sure the disciples were all leaning forward now, right? For Jesus, because the question that they couldn't come to an understanding of what he meant for in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. They couldn't figure it out. Now, they should have been able. I say they should have been able to. But no, they could not figure it out. So, so now Jesus says, why, ask me. Why, why didn't you ask me? Let me tell you. So all of them are now leaning forward, you would imagine. Since the question is the heart of the, their distraction. Why aren't they listening to Christ anymore? Why did they pull, peel away? Because they didn't understand something. And all of them didn't understand it. And, and now that Christ says he's going to explain it, they're all focused and leaning forward. So point C is stay focused as a minister. Stay focused on, on the point. Imagine if Jesus went on some long discourse about something that did not answer the question. Right? Where would they have been? Just as confused as before. So the, stay focused on the, what's, what the heart matter is. Right? What is at, fo at the focus here? What is the crux of the matter, as we, sh we say? And if you can't do that as a minister, then they're going to walk away confused. They're going to walk away thinking, 
Well, he spoke eloquently, but he didn't really address what was on my heart. He didn't answer questions that I've had or that I thought were important, right? So you didn't look and see who they were to see what they need and then give it to them. You only focused on what you think they ought to have. So everybody comes differently, right? So let people come whichever way they want to come. Stay focused. That's what you ought to do. right? Jesus, was when he answers them, he's to the point. Point D, the disciples answer Jesus silently and and he proceeds to answer their questions in more detail. So, so they, when I say silently, uh, I'm saying that Jesus didn't didn't know, and like they didn't come to Jesus and say, "Okay, we we don't have the answer anymore." So, can you tell us what the answer is? They didn't say that. Jesus perceived that, and he went ahead and just began to answer their question. So once you know what the question is, go ahead and answer it. So he proceeds to answer their questions in more detail, right? He already told them. He could have said, I already told you this. But no, he went back and he says, let me let me give you some illustrations now. Let me tell you in more detail. And is it a problem for him? No, it's no problem. In fact, he's happy to do it to explain this. This is the goal that you know and, and Jesus' mind, these these are important people here. Christ esteems them more than he does himself. Right? He may have an agenda, but for them to stop him, he should he could have said, Don't interrupt me. I'm talking. But he says, What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I see that that's what you you're talking about one uh, you know to one another. Let me tell you, let's straighten this out. Let's, let's make, give more detail here. Notice the patience. This, goes, this reminds me of the Philippian passage, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but let me read the Philippian passage, Philippians chapter 2, where you see this phrase. Um, Philippians 2 and... Three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, here it is, value others above yourselves. Now, so this is, here's the humility that Christ had. He valued their understanding more above himself. He could have said, I'm talking, I'm the, the Lord, you follow me. Right, you just shut up and listen to what I'm telling you. He no, he valued them. He put them higher. So so that allowed him to have the patience that he needed because they were important people as far as Christ was concerned. So look at verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So that's really how a harmonious relationship works. It doesn't work where someone just serves the other and you you know this person is just no a harmonious relationship when it comes to us and God and each other is where we are looking to the interests of others. 
So what happens if you're looking, always looking for the interests of others? Well, then that means somebody else is looking at your interests, what you need. You're not vying for what you need. Somebody else got that. So what do you spend your time doing? Serving. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset. And this is the next verse. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it goes into who? Being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. So you could add that to your notes if you want. So that was point two. Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? Point number three. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So truly, this is exactly what happened. We not only have Jesus' words, but also the benefit of hindsight. So what I mean by this is, look, we can look through all of the Gospels. And you know, when the disciples went through this, we make it seem like, like they were reading the Gospels like we are. No. They, there were no Gospels. So they can go to Mark and cross-reference that with something that happened in Luke and cross-reference that with something that happened in John. They don't have such things. So we are reading what happened exactly. And Jesus told them, this is what's going to happen. Sure enough, that's what happened. So not only did Jesus say it, but we, we're sitting here cross-referencing, got all the scriptures right there looking. All, so we got hindsight because it already happened. The whole thing happened. And we're looking at the whole thing, whereas they are literally going through step by step, moment by moment, day by day. So we can't judge them. We could, we could, but we'd be wrong to do it. It'd be nice for us to understand from their perspective how they understood it. Point B, you will weep and mourn. So this comes with the explanation of how Jesus is answering it. And these are really not analogies. These are not the metaphors yet. Because the metaphor is with the woman and, you know, having a, a, a baby in, who is mourning in childbirth. So, so literally, you will weep and mourn, he says. The and when we think about it, and there are so many places we could read, but I picked a few out so that... Um, at least you could see what, that Jesus' words came true. I don't even really have to tell you that the disciples were devastated. You, you know this already. This is information that I could just put the point down. I don't even need a scripture to validate that they were weeping and mourning about this. But I'm going to read Matthew 26 and 75. This is very common knowledge about what happened. It's the very last verse in 26. Um, well, this is actually, we could read more. This is where Peter denied Christ three times. So uh, I'll start at verse 70. 
but he denied it before them all. I don't know who you are talking about, he said. Remember, Peter said he would die for Christ. Then he went out to, this is verse 71, then he went out uh, the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I, do n I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are, the one, you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. He swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. What happens? And he went outside and wept bitterly. So Christ is saying, I knew what was going to happen. I, I know, Peter, you're talking about you're going to, you will die for me. You, you're going to deny you even knew me. And sure enough, it hits Peter. And he, it says he wept bitterly. Now this is the kind of crying that's not like you're watching the movie and tears just come out of your eyes and you know the, the, whoever wrote the movie, this was what we call a tearjerker. No, 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 this is not that kind of crying. This is where you're heaving and you can't control yourself. I mean, you just, the tears and you're just crying, you're weeping bitterly. And he couldn't even control couldn't get a hold of himself. He's totally upset. And that's, that's the kind of weeping Peter, got, after he goes outside and he wept bitterly, says in Scripture. So that's what he says, you will weep and mourn. Now, Peter was upset about what Christ had told him. Christ told him that he was going to go through this. He was devastated. And so were the disciples. They all took off and ran. So, point C, the disciples will be distressed and fearing for their lives. That's back to John 16, uh, where we are in our context. I see our time is, is moving forward, so we're gonna, we, we should be able to finish this. So, back to John 16, 31 through 33 at the end. So, it says... Do you now believe? So Jesus' illustrations and metaphors did work because they finally got it. But then Christ says this. After that, he says, a time is coming. Just be careful. I know you said you believe, but a time is coming. And in fact, uh, has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So there, there you have uh, the, all the disciples ran. They feared for their lives. I mean, they took off. You know, this, is, this was part of their... You know, what would happen? Even in the Old Testament, in Zechariah, strike the sheep and the, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
Point D, while the world rejoices. It's so very true, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And this phrase, the one who rejoiced the most is the one who hated him the most. And that would be Satan. So think about John 14, 30. Um, and 31, I don't know if many people will grab this scripture, but sure, here it is. I will not say, this is Christ speaking, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So this is Christ saying that the prince of this world is coming. So all of the instigation of this world, even the structure of why this world hates the people of God, why there is this animosity between grace and religion, is because of Satan and the way he has structured the thinking of this world, this evil world. And who's defeated? Who's rejoicing? Satan. He's rejoicing that he finally could get Christ on the cross. He inspired the Jews to kill him many times. And Christ got away from it. It was not his time. It wasn't time. And coupled with that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, is this, we find these words. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the angelic realms. This is, even though Satan thought he was going to win at the cross, he lost at the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So what the very instruments they thought would end and would create a win for them turns out to be a win for God. This was the plan of God anyway, that Christ would go to the cross and that he would be judged for the sins of the world and that he would emerge triumphant as well. So this, this is a win for God. It was supposed to be a win for Satan. They were rejoicing. But that wasn't so. Point E, the religious leaders were, were, were certainly rejoicing at their victory. So if we look at John 11, John 11, when they got together, after Jesus raises or resuscitates Lazarus from the dead, they plot to kill Jesus. So look at verse 48. We're going to jump in. If we let him go on like this, this is John 11, 48. <clears throat> Everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named uh, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, stood up or spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Now, he did not say this on his own. He said this. But as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for, for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. 
So from that day on, they plotted, here it is, to take his life. They plotted to take his life. It goes back to verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. So from verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew from the region near near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish, in other words, that time we're talking about, Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem from their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. So, they were, once they finally got Christ on the cross, they were, they were happy. They were saying, oh, now, we, now we've got it. Now we got him. And then uh, 19, this is John 19, and looking at verses 12 through 15 real quick. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, after this is more than one time that Pilate tried to free him, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. With him, two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. So, so this is part of what they got, what they wanted. They finally did get Christ. They, they were after him. They were after him. He got away from them, but they finally got him. So they had joy. And point F, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And as we have been discussing, they would soon be on this emotional roller coaster. So there's a couple of verses in John. We, for, for the sake of time, we're going to shorten this. I'm going to ask you to read John 20, 1 through 20. Just so you can see how this whole thing went down. But I'm going to skip to point G. The disciples would eventually land on their feet. Luke 24, 13 through 48. We won't have the time to read it all, but Luke 24. We'll start at verse 13. This is a... This is what happened after. Uh, so the, the same day, two of them were going into to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we have hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women were amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us uh, that they had seen visions a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of his companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? At the beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, and broke it and said, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned. So I just will stop there. And I just wanted to give this as a part of how Jesus rounded out. Even after his resurrection, he continues to teach them. And their response is golden. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? Well, they had the scriptures. They already had all that information, except they did not have someone to teach them what that meant, how important it is that when the scriptures are open to us, that these are the things that we value. Not that we have just the word, but that we have the understanding, what the meaning is, and that is by the spirit of truth. We're going to have to quit. Next week, we'll continue this thought uh, in John chapter 16. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're glad to be here, to hear the spirit of truth open the scriptures to us. We pray that the experience of those disciples on the Emmaus Road will be ours as we open the word and allow God the Holy Spirit to tell us what those things actually mean. 
to open the meaning of your marvelous plan to us. Father, we thank you for choosing us from the foundation of the world. We, we ask that, Father, as we go, uh, that we would have humility to accept the wisdom that you have for us in this life. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.